There is one more special guest that I want to make sure uh, that you help me welcome today. Reverend Dr. Scott Colglazier was the senior minister here at University Christian Church from 1996 until 2005. And during that time, uh, the church was alive and filled with vitality. We were thriving in many ways and shapes and forms uh, and grew by leaps and bounds. Scott has published uh, five books uh, and has served a number of other churches. Uh, I'll invite him to share with us uh, what he's been doing since he uh, was here. Uh, but will you help me welcome Reverend Dr. Scott Colglazier. Well, welcome, Scott. Okay. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank Good. you. Thank you thank so you. much for being here. Catch us up. Tell us what you've been doing. Well, uh, first of all, it's just great to see you and to be with you today. Uh, there was a part of me that uh, dreaded coming here today <laughs> because now here I am. I'm old. I'm gray. I'm overweight. <laughs> but so were you. <laughs> It's, so I just decided not to worry about it. <laughs> Most of all, I really wanted to come here today to simply say uh, thank you. Because in ways you do not even know, this congregation uh, shaped me. It shaped uh, my wife Marty and our three children, Matthew, Drew, and Katie. And for that, we are just so grateful. And we are always, always thinking about this congregation. Uh, since I left here, I had some uh, wonderful opportunities. Uh, I was in New York for a while and uh, serving the Riverside Church in, on the Upper West Side of New York City. And uh, that's uh, a, certainly a church that's known throughout the world and had so many great opportunities there and enjoyed that very much. And then I shifted oceans and I went to Los Angeles and I served First Congregational Church of Los Angeles, which uh, was a United Church of Christ. And uh, that church also, like Riverside, was home to uh, uh, one of these great Gothic cathedrals. And it was always such a joy and privilege to be in that kind of space. And I enjoyed that very much as well. But I also had this growing feeling throughout the last several years that I wanted to uh, do something different in the last years of my life, however that may turn out. And so uh, one of the things that I started doing was being more and more influenced and understood the importance of art. And in some ways, I, uh, I, I blame University Christian Church for that. You know, I think of my friend uh, Ken Lawrence so much and loved him so much and miss him every day. But uh, for a church to actually have an art gallery says something. And what it says is that art is essential to the human experience. It is essential to the human spirit. And then when I was in Los Angeles, we used space there to curate various art shows. And the more that I showed other people's work, 
the more I started wanting to create my own work. And so for the last five years, I retired from uh, ministry as a clergyman, but I am working now in my studio in Bloomington, Indiana, and I continue to make uh, art every single day. And uh, my life is very different. I don't know what it's like to work in front of a crowd anymore. I work quietly by myself. And yet somehow at this point in my life, it suits me just fine. And I'm really grateful for that opportunity. So that's a quick synopsis of the last 30 years. Well done. Well done. So you mentioned your wife, Marty, who was here with us. Marty, will you stand, please, so we can greet you and say hello and welcome back as well? So you mentioned that this, your time here at University of Christian Church was very influential to you, both as a pastor but also as a human. Can you reflect a little bit more on that and tell us what you mean by that? Yes. Well, uh, you know, in I, I, so many different thoughts around that. Uh, one of the things that I'm still kind of shocked by and yet very much aware of is how young I was when I came here. And I mean that in all seriousness. I was 39 years old. Wow when I became the senior minister here. You should not be 39 years old and the senior minister of this church because it's too big of a job, it's too much demand, it's so complicated in a good way. So I didn't always have the maturity. At the same time, you also learn to grow up pretty fast. Yes. Under that kind of pressure and that kind of demand and opportunity. And so in that way, I think all of our family kind of grew up here the 10 years we were here. But I do remember how the church very much intersected with the university and how the church intersected with the community. Uh, one of the great highlights of my life, why I was chosen, I have no idea, but there was a program at TCU and I was on the board of trustees. And uh, in this program, the featured speaker was the Holocaust survivor, Elie Wiesel. And so he came, gave a speech. I think there must have been three or 4,000 people there. And then they asked me to make the Christian response to his speech. And I was petrified, of course, but also so honored. And it was one of those moments that I realized how important it is for people of different faiths to be able to talk to one another, understand one another, and that there is something so deeply human that we're trying to touch, whether we're Christian, Jew, Muslim, whatever it might be. So that was one of those experiences that I will never forget. Uh, I'll never forget the experience, uh, I forget what year it was, but there was a shooting in one of the Baptist churches here in our community. And uh, we wound up, uh, I, I remember this because Kenneth Barr, who was the mayor at that time, I think he was in Mexico that night, he called me and we put together a service that we actually wound up having at the football stadium. And to have our community come out and we brought together people of different faiths to grieve together and find hope together. And of course, uh, Another one of those seminal moments was right after 9-11. And I remember 9-11 so clearly, like all of you, or most of you at this point, 
you, we saw the pictures and we were watching it. I was watching it live on television at home. And yet I was running late for a staff meeting. And so I kept delaying the staff meeting so I could watch what was going on. And then we had our staff meeting. And we decided that as a staff, we needed to stay home that night because we needed to be with our families. But we then also made the decision that the next night, we needed to be with our family of faith. And we wound up having this sanctuary really packed with people. And what I will never forget is how many families came, how many young children were in this sanctuary. And I was surprised by that. I wasn't sure if children would come. And so to speak to children and adults and people who had never seen such a thing and to somehow come together with hope and love and vulnerability, that became a very important moment. And, uh, and, and by the way, in all those moments, the staff and the lay people in our congregation, the music staff and the choir, they played such an important role of helping us feel what we needed to feel. So those are at least some things I remember. That's wonderful. Thank you. So this is an important, a pivotal moment in the life of our church, 150 years, as you've heard today. Uh, and we wanted to, uh, I wanted to invite you to come to help us think not just about our past, but to help us to think about our future, to think about the next 150 years. And so uh, no longer being uh, a pastor in that sense of having to preach every week and that sort of thing, you probably have an opportunity to sort of step back and to see the church and the, 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 the fate of religion in our culture from a different lens, from a, from a different point of angle. Um, how do you see sort of the state of the church? How do you see the state of religion in our culture today? Okay, uh, let's right. see. <clears throat> well, it's a good question because I think we all recognize we're in a state of real flux and change at this point. Absolutely. And that's true not just for the Christian faith in America, but it's true of the Christian faith around the world, and it's true really of all faiths. Having said that, I still think that fundamentally, as part of what it means to be a human being, we have this capacity to be religious. Uh, if you want to say we have the capacity to be spiritual, fine with me, but we have this capacity to seek something that transcends ourself and that it's at one time deeply within us and it's always a step beyond us. And so part of what the church, it seems to me, is called to do is to help human beings get in touch with that special, mystical, wonderful, beautiful place inside every human being. And so... One thing that I have learned since retiring is that um, a really good church is a rare thing. Mm. And you have a really good church here. Amen. And through the years, there were, there were people who were real giants to me who really helped move this church forward. 
And those people are still here, but there are new people now who are here. And you have new leadership. And I just want to say, by the way, not getting paid for this, Russ is a terrific minister. I mean, and so I just want to say that, that in a church like this, you have this rare opportunity. And the opportunity is not somehow to uh, focus on yourself to, to be like this great institution as much as it is to be focused on what people most deeply need in their lives, to give them an opportunity for community, to give them an opportunity to connect with something bigger than themselves, to give them an opportunity to think about life from a different angle and with a different kind of lens. If you do that as a congregation, the institution will thrive. The institution will thrive because the institution is doing what you want it to do, making a difference in the lives of people. And so I'm not sure whether to be uh, bullish about the future of the church or bearish about the future of the church. I really don't know. I don't think in terms of 150 years anymore, trust me. <laughs> but what I do think about is that I still meet people every single day who are looking for something in their lives and they're not going to find it only with technology and they're not going to find it only by making money and they're not going to find it only by adding another degree behind their name. Right. It's deeper than that. And for the church to help people on that journey, it seems to me, is something that's essential, important, and, and, and quite adventurous. So Allison mentioned that we've been reading together through the book of Philippians over the last, uh, for the last couple of weeks. Uh, and part of the reason that we chose that is because uh, that church in Philippi at that time was going through a difficult time. And they were, it was a difficult time to be church yes. uh, in that place and at that time. And, and, and I would argue that given the state of our culture, given the state of the world today uh, with with church participation on decline, a deeply divided nation, uh, a war at world, uh, this is a difficult time to be church as well. What would you think, uh, what, what will be important, what will be necessary for the church in the next few days and weeks and years ahead for us to make sure that we, are, that we thrive as a congregation? Well, yes, I mean, it, it has changed. There's no doubt about that. And I think especially in places like this, uh, in the South a little bit, in Texas a little bit. The church culture is a little more alive than it is in New York City or Los Angeles or even in the Midwest. I got off the elevator in my hotel yesterday and the guy said, have a blessed day. Well, we don't say that in Indiana, you know? I mean, <laughs> thank you, thank you. But, uh, you know, we, we, we just don't, faith is not integrated like that. Okay. At the same time, I would say, just speaking personally, what I would want from a church is that I want from a church, and I would want to be able to go to a church where what's happening in the world is also touched upon 
on Sunday morning. I don't want church to be a bubble. Mm -hmm. I want church to be this bridge between what is really happening in the world and what's really happening in my life and what's really happening in my faith. Whether that faith is growing and it's strong or whether it's wavering and sometimes not even there at all. I want that kind of experience to be touched on by the church. And so what I would say, and I don't want this to sound like a cliche, but I think if a church can somehow find a way to keep it real, Hmm. where something real happens every Sunday, Mm -hmm. not just every now and then, but something at a real human level touches us each week, that's what I would want from a church. And that means that you're talking about everything from the impending war to racism in our culture, to poverty in our culture, to sexism in our culture, whatever it might be. It doesn't mean we have to harp on those kinds of things every Sunday, but in some way or another, we've got to build a bridge between what's really in our heart and what's really happening in the world. Amen. Well said. So people who study this sort of thing say that within the next 50 years, uh, Christians will no longer be the majority in our culture. So how will that sense of plurality that will become even more exaggerated and more prominent, how will that play out in the life of the church in the days ahead? Well, there are a lot of majorities that are on the extinction list. And it's not just Christian majority, it's white America, it's, right. It's, right. it's a lot of that. I happen to see that all as a great opportunity. Yes. And the opportunity is to define ourselves even better. So that, uh, you know, it's not that, that we just kind of grow up with church, we kind of go to church, it's kind of always there. But at a certain point, we make a decision. Is this real or is it not real? Is it important? Is it not important? If it is important, how is it going to be important to my life? And for some people, that may be going to church every Sunday. For some people, it might be getting connected to a smaller group experience in a church setting. But whatever it might be, uh, to find a way to keep that real within ourselves And for the church to continue to define who we are is, to me, uh, uh, what it's about. I mean, it does no good to somehow or another try to make a connection with a culture that no longer exists. The only culture we can touch is the one we have now. And we're not going to go back to some of these things. It's just not going to turn around. There are things that have happened. I was talking to Eric Hyman about this yesterday. There are things that have happened in college athletics I don't like. We're not going back. And so you live, you live with where you are and you try to touch the culture we have. We're not going to go back on technology. We're not going to go back on having a better attention span. We're not going to go back on this or that. And so we have to find a way to make contact 
with the good news of God's love and grace and goodness with the real world in which we live. Right. So Phyllis Tickle wrote a book a few years ago called The Great Emergence, and one of the things that she talked about was that every 500 years, the church, the big C church, the general church, uh, you know, the, the church at work in the world, goes through a rummage sale, and it cleans out its attic, and it gets rid of things that it no longer needs. You think back 500 years after, after the start, uh, after, after the church was founded, there was the, the great schism between the Eastern and Orthodox. There was the, the great Reformation 500 years ago, and now here we are again at one of those times in, in the life of the church. What are some things that the church needs to get rid of? <laughs> Well, I retired. That's a start. That's, that's good. <clears throat> that wasn't on my list, by the way. That wasn't. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't really know the answer to that. It's a great question. I don't know the answer. All I would say is, is that the more that a church can do something real, at a human level for other people is what we need to be doing. And it needs to be less about church in that administrative sense mm -hmm. and more about people, their lives, and what we want to try to do to make this world a better place. Wonderful. And so I, I get the idea of the rummage sale, and I, I, I like that metaphor, but I also want to say that... Um, uh, Marty and I just spent uh, the month of September, we were in Italy, and, and we would go into these churches, many of them empty, yeah. and we would light a candle and say a little prayer. Now, I know that lighting a candle and saying a little prayer in a dilapidated Italian church is not everything, but it's something. Yeah. And I'm glad we haven't thrown it all out. Yeah. That's what I would say. Very well said. So uh, you mentioned a moment ago uh, that something real needs to happen. You talked about authenticity and vulnerability. What does an authentic faith look like to you? Well, I think an authentic faith uh, for me means being honest with myself mm -hmm. in particular about what I really believe and what I really don't believe mm -hmm. and not being afraid of that. And I think it's okay. And one of the things that I learned, especially when I was in Los Angeles, is that, um, you know, we had a number of people, you never knew why anybody would walk into a church in LA. It just, you know, you don't know why. And, um, you know, but they were there, and they would walk in, and, and it seems to me that they, they were looking for something. And you get to know people, and you get to know a lot of people in your congregation. They become part of your congregation. They didn't plan on it, but, you know, we have our ways. And... <laughs> But you also learn that some of these people in their private lives, for example, they would tell me, you know, really, uh, Reverend, you know, I'm an atheist. Mm -hmm. 
Well, rather than, you know, praying for that person or condemning that person, I would just simply say, you know, some days we're all kind of atheist. And some days we believe and some days we don't believe. And there's room for everybody, no matter where they are on the spectrum. And so for a church to give people permission to really believe what they believe, to really doubt what they doubt, and to always be somewhere waffling in between is at least part of what it means to have an authentic faith. And, and, and by the way, I have to say, this is, I, I think this is one critical role that the senior minister sets. I'm not giving you advice. Right, but, let me write but, this down. Let me write this down. But, but it, you know, if, if you can't be in this pulpit and be honest with what's really going on in here, you have no right to ask other people to be honest with what's going on in there. Very true. Very true. And so... What I found, at least, is that when I could be honest with some of my doubts and fears and failures, that it gave permission for people to be honest with their own. And rather than condemning me for it, it was actually a relief. And so congregations can nurture this kind of authentic faith experience. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And that sense of vulnerability is important. Yeah. You, one of the things when somebody comes to me and says, you know, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, I often say, tell me about the God you don't believe in. Exactly. And more often than not, I can say, you know what, I don't believe in that God either. Right. Right? And so where do we find that sense where we can all come together and find a faith, find a, a, an understanding of who God is that, that we can, that we can uh, all agree on and find uh, similarities rather than things that divide us? Uh, Scott, you and I first met in 2004, and I know that because uh, you signed my book, A Larger Hope, right here. Okay. Uh, and there is a part of this book, A Larger Hope, that I quote so often that people now think that I say it. So <laughs> I just want to set the record straight that this was actually Scott Colglazer who said it. And I just want to read this uh, because it has been uh, quite a... Sin- you talk about the difference between an answer church and a journey church. Mm. And you said, to have faith is not so much about collecting answers as it is discovering the essence of spiritual courage. And it is the courage that we need for the journey. And maybe it's the case that Christians should be defined not by what they know, but by whom they know. Not by the answers we can give, but by the questions we are courageous enough to ask. I just wonder if you could reflect on that and and what it means that University Christian Church is unequivocally and unapologetically a journey church. Yes, uh, thank you for that. Well, to me, I guess one of the things that I loved about being here from the very beginning was the relationship with TCU. I've not had a chance to really talk about that, but I I will tell you, I love TCU. And I love TCU not just because you win football games, okay? (laughs) I loved it because right across the street 
There was research happening, books being written, questions being asked. And many of those professors, they were part of this congregation and you got to know them. And you had opportunities to meet certain people. I still remember having a dinner with the chancellor. And there were five, count them, five winners of the Nobel Prize at that dinner. I sat in the other room. I mean... (laughs) I would too. It's ridiculous. I would too. But, but I, I say that because part of what a university is about, in my opinion, is not just to grant degrees so you can get a job. It's bigger than that. It is about helping people have an experience that opens up the world to them in a powerful way. And last night, Marty and I, we, uh, we, 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 well, we were at a bar last night. And I thought I saw you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I wasn't drinking, Marty was. Right, but yeah. uh, truly, we, we, we really were, we were exhausted from the day. It was such a great day, but we were exhausted. But then we said, oh, let's go to Joe T's. Yeah. Well, they, they couldn't find our car to get us to Joe T's, so we just walked a block down and went into the Capitol Grill. There were two places at the bar we sat down. And there, then two people left, and two more people came by, and they were sitting next to us. A young woman... And I'm not sure the man, if they were married or not, boy, clearly boyfriend, girlfriend in some way. And um, I didn't ask questions. But she, I, 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 we struck up a conversation and she said she went to TCU. And she started, I mean, this woman should be a cheerleader for TCU. She did frog camp in Argentina. How do you do that now? Amazing. And she talked about the different experiences she had and how much she loves TCU. And now she's in her final year of law school and wants to be a corporate lawyer, get her donation. And, but this young woman, she said, TCU changed my life. I was the first person in my family to go to college and I got a chancellor's scholarship. True story, it happened last night. And she was talking about that. What TCU has given that young woman is not a degree. You gave her a life. And that's what a church is about too. We're not just about giving people a set of beliefs. We're about giving people this call to live into the deepest questions of our existence. And if that can happen at the university, and if that can happen at the church, that's a very good thing. Well said. Are we about finished? Yeah, I got one left. One more. I got one more. (laughs) Okay. We get paid by the hour now. Oh, really? Did I tell you about that? Take your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a change in the structure. I don't know what it was about. Got it. So 60 years ago, 60 years ago this year, Martin Luther King walked to the top of the steps and talked about a dream that he has for the world, for Uh, And and in those 60 years, in terms of civil rights, we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. Um, In that spirit, what is your dream for University Christian Church? Yes. 
that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, when I was at the Riverside Church in New York, um, it was pretty humbling to be in that pulpit and know it was in that very pulpit that Dr. King first stood up and came out against the Vietnam War. And it cost him greatly to do that. And people were afraid it would derail the civil rights movement. But he saw it as a human rights issue. And he had the courage to speak. What I hope is that just as that church became a place of courage where people could speak, I hope for this church that whoever is in this pulpit, you, a guest speaker, an event that you might have here, something that you might do jointly with TCU, something that you might do with other religious faiths in this city, whatever it might be, I hope that there will be encouragement and courage to have the kind of experiences that makes the world bigger, that makes the heart bigger, and that makes God bigger for all of us. That's what I hope for. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.